Decision Manitoba 2019, the podcast. Hi, I'm Richard Cluche. NDP leader Wab Canoe on healthcare, education, the economy, hydro, and leadership. We spoke with the leader of the progressive conservative, Brian Pallister, and I said, do you like the moniker Tough Love Premier? And he said, well, you know, yeah, I guess so. That's kind of the, the situation that he's in at the time. And apologized but didn't apologize for some of the decisions that he has made, especially in healthcare. How would you describe your leadership style? Genuine love. I want it to be a positive approach. You know, I think one of the mistakes Mr. Pallister has made is just not listening when red flags were raised in healthcare or not listening to the people on the front line who said, slow down. We, we understand that you got a plan here, but it's going off the rails and you need to adjust along the course. And so what I would want to do as leader is be willing to listen, be flexible, and be smart. This is our province. These are people's lives that's at stake when we're talking about healthcare, when we're talking about jobs. So we got to take the time to get it right. Where does that style come from? Like, what is it in your background that says, okay, I need to be a consensus builder? Because the successful leaders that I have known are good at consensus building, but they're also good at laying down the law because sometimes the buck stops with you. A lot of times, it as does. leader, the buck stops with you. It does. And I think in my personal life, but also my political life, I've been forced to confront challenges. It has not been an easy journey, but along the way, I have learned the value of listening. I've learned the values of compassion and most importantly, the value of being fair. And I think I'll bring those tasks, those skills with me to the legislature as leader, hopefully as premier that uh, I will be compassionate, I will listen, and even if you don't agree with me, at least you'll be able to step back and say, yeah, I don't agree, but that was fair. On the healthcare file, I remember talking with senior leadership in healthcare 20 years ago, and uh, I'll throw one name up. Dr. Brian Postel, who's now head of the medical faculty at the University of Manitoba, and he told me years ago that our healthcare system in Winnipeg is really inefficient not mm-hmm. just financially but from a healthcare perspective that uh, we have too many hospitals and this is really a creature of of unicity that that you know we ha- we are uh, a community of neighborhoods if you will a city of neighborhoods and the issue there with healthcare has been you need to have two or three really good emergency rooms that are fully staffed that have the cases that uh, are the complex cases and that the community hospital should just be that, community hospitals. And frankly, that idea has been out there for years and mm-hmm. finally, Pallister decided to, to go for it, to do it, and to, to do something that previous health ministers said would not go politically because it's very difficult to sell in those neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Pallister decided, okay, we're gonna do this, we're gonna go forward with this problems and all because there are have been some and problems seen execution. Those. So what basis do you have other than politics that it's smart idea, good health care in the end, to reopen those ERs at Concordia and Seven Oaks? Where's the evidence that that would work as opposed to, you know what, these people don't feel good about it, so I'm going to give them their ERs back. 
It's a healthcare decision, and it's based by talking to the ER docs and the nurses who work at those hospitals, as well as others at centres like St. B. So when we look at Seven Oaks and Concordia, under the new plan, Seven Oaks is spo supposed to specialize in kidneys. Dialysis patients are very sick. They often need an intensive care unit. We need an ICU at Seven Oaks. So an urgent care plus an ICU equals an ER. It's the same story at Concordia with the surgeries that they do for hip and knee. If one of those surgeries goes sideways, you want an ICU and an ER close by to help deal with the patient in crisis. So that's the justification between those two sites. But when I'm talking about St. B and HSC, what I'm hearing from those nurses and those doctors is that right now we're way over capacity. I've heard from an ER doc who's compared it to a hotel. They said, our healthcare system works best, our emergency rooms work best when they're at about 85% capacity, just like a hotel. Right now, we're over 100%. That's why St. Boniface is turning away patients a few times every week nowadays because of the closures of the other ERs. So we need to find a way to add more beds system-wide just to stabilize. We're not talking about long-term modernization of healthcare. That's another important conversation we should have. <laughs> but just in order to deal with the crisis that Mr. Pallister has created in our emergency rooms, we need to add more bed spaces. Concordia and Seven Oaks, we can open up beds for about $100,000 cheaper per year than at the other hospitals. So it's about an efficient allocation of resources to help work our way out of our crisis. But at the end of the day, it's focused on the patients. How do we make it better for the patients? Different from what Peachy had recommended in the end, uh, that's a different approach for what you are saying right now. But those in the know would also come back and argue and say, Mr. Canoe, in the end, one of the big problems is that we have people that are going to emergency rooms that should be at urgent cares or should be at primary physicians. And what we're going through right now is the pain of transition. I don't think you agree with that, but a lot of those experts are saying, give it a couple of years, give it 18 months, and you'll see the system come back and you will see that occur. You disagree. I disagree because we're not going to change people's behavior. If people get sick in the middle of the night, if people get sick on a Sunday, they're going to go to the emergency room. We have to design healthcare around that reality. On the flip side, our healthcare system right now is focused on metrics like patient flow. I've asked doctors and nurses over and over again, did you ever get involved in healthcare to improve patient flow? And they laugh and they say, absolutely not. I got involved in healthcare to save lives, to make people healthier, to improve uh, the health of people right around Manitoba. So why are we talking in this conversation around healthcare about these management outcomes? I think the biggest philosophical difference between me and Mr. Pallister is Mr. Pallister wants to focus on these management metrics. I want to focus on making Manitobans healthier. So at the end of the day, I would like our healthcare plan to be judged by are Manitobans healthier? Are we reducing the rate of diabetes? Are we reducing the rate of heart disease? In the end, a lot of people, including Kaihai, judge it based on wait times. Pallister's mm -hmm. argument is, you had 15 years to fix the system and you didn't do it. Uh, I'm coming in, taking that tough love approach, and yes, there are some headaches right now, but you're gonna have to trust me that in the next 18 months to two years, we're gonna see some success at that. With reinstating the ERs and the ICUs, would you guarantee to Manitobans that those wait lists, those wait lists would come down? Yes. And what I would How say you know to that? Mr. Pallister, you know because we'll have fewer sick people. If we deal with the addictions crisis with mental health and have people who are high on meth dealt with by mental health professionals and they don't go to the ER, 
that means the ER doc is not busy sedating the meth but patient. But you just said it's they difficult to deal. change behaviors. And that's one of the problems here is that the system is reactive to people's behaviors. But we're talking about smart, preventative approaches on mental health and addictions. So let's deal with the mental health issue with mental health workers. Let's deal with the community health piece with community health people, public health with public health people. That'll free up the emergency medicine specialists to deal with the emergency cases. Again, what we've seen from Mr. Pallister is there's an election on, yeah, the same guy who's been cutting healthcare for three years, all of a sudden he's got never-ending resources for healthcare that he's promising everybody. But I think what we've actually seen from him is that he's ignored, or at least been very, very slow to deal with the meth crisis. He has ignored the voices of frontline workers who are saying that this ER plan, even if they acknowledge a need for change, has gone off the rails and uh, they have not been listened to. And so what we need is a government that's actually responsive to the needs of Manitobans and puts patients first. The, I think, bottom line that we have to tell Mr. Pallister is put the spreadsheet down, go talk to some nurses, go talk to some doctors, and then set about putting patient care first in your plan to fix healthcare. What would you do on the IT side? Because when I look at this system, elements of Victoria General Hospital still on paper records, that yeah. computer systems are not talking to each other, that a lot of the money we spend on healthcare is on salaries, transportation, but we're not moving the needle by investing in smarter technologies. What would the NDP do on that side? We, we can use technology to reduce uh, the bureaucracy in healthcare, and that's where I would really like to see technology applied. I do think there's a lot of options, you know, with uh, like Fitbits and smartwatches for us to monitor patient health and to, to use it that way. That's great. But I think maybe the biggest opportunity is whether I talk to a physician or a nurse or a healthcare aide, they feel like there's way too much bureaucracy in healthcare and there's not enough at the front lines. So why don't we automate some of these processes around data collection and report filing? Because we can do that now with technology. Why don't we do that and then we can reinvest the savings at the front lines where it would actually help patients. Decision Manitoba 2019, the podcast. I'm Richard Cluche with NDP leader, Wab Canoe. On crime and safety, you have talked about meth and yes, there is a meth crisis. The, the major change or difference between you and Mr. Pallister as I see is that, uh, that safe injection site. Uh, and we've been down that road before, but there are other changes, other differences between you and him. Does it take a significant investment, not only on the addiction side, but I think people are not feeling so safe in their neighborhoods. They're wondering if they're going to get a response to the break-in, uh, the bicycle theft, those types of things. How would things change as far as financing not only Winnipeg Police, but RCMP, police agencies, an overall strategy on that justice front? Well, I'm open to it because I certainly do hear people even in my own neighborhood who are worried about the smash and grab or the uh, garage getting broken into. But I was talking to our chief of police and what he told me is, I'm not sure we need any more police officers. I was surprised. I'm as surprised as probably you are to hear that as well. But what he was saying is, and I've heard this from officers as well, is that right now we have police officers babysitting people who are high on meth for the entirety of their shift. That's why they can't respond to the call about the B&E. That's why they're slow to respond uh, to the smashed window call that they get, is because we have this addictions crisis that's not only causing crime directly, but it's also sucking resources away, law enforcement resources, from being able to deal with the other problems in our streets. So the chief difference between Pallister and I is not just that I will listen to the evidence on a harm reduction site, it's that I will act within the first 100 days. 
I won't wait until the eve of an election call to all of a sudden present ideas to respond to the meth crisis. And as a result, if we use harm reduction and detox and all these other techniques to get a handle on addictions, that'll free up the cop to not have to babysit the person high on meth anymore. They can drop that person off at a, at a safe facility and then they can get back at what they do best. They can get back to doing what they do best, which is keeping us safe. Brian Pallister says he's not afraid to debate you. He won't debate you because he wants to go see Manitobans and that's a modern campaign strategy. He skipped the CJOB debate, the Brandon debate, the Winnipeg Chamber debate. They've been canceled. Well. You'd yeah. love the opportunity to be able to go one-on-one. -on -one. What would you say to him? I've been waiting to say something to Mr. Pallister this entire campaign. And what I would like to say to his face is thank you. Because in a way, Mr. Pallister, through all the negative campaigning and the attack ads and the slander, has given me a chance to show the people of Manitoba the person that I am today. And I would like to think that I have shown them that I can stay calm under pressure, stay positive, and still execute on the tasks that I need to do. And that I would show those qualities as a premier and as a leader of our province that I'd be compassionate and listening and be fair as a leader but I'd also say thanks on a personal level too because in spite of our differences he has done something that I am now trying to do and I've tried to learn from him and study the things that he's gotten right and if I do get the chance to serve as premier I will keep the things that he got right but I will change the things that he got terribly wrong what do you think he got right well, the ambulance fees, I don't mind giving credit that uh, they were too high. And so that is an example of something that I would keep. But again, this ER reorganization, the closure of emergency rooms, even if you accept the premise of the plan, you have to admit that this thing has gone off the rails. When St. Boniface Emergency Room is turning away patients, one of the most important ERs is turning away patients, you have to admit that healthcare is in crisis. And so that's where I would change the things that he's gotten wrong. Because I want to build a Manitoba that works for all of us. Back to school, were you involved? I know it's <laughs> difficult during a campaign. Uh, kids the election call made it difficult for me to fully participate in all the loose leaf and uh, pen purchases going on in uh, our household. But uh, we did go to Polo Park last night, and I did buy some uh, some shoes for uh, the what boys. What grades are the kids in? They're heading into, uh, well, we got a high school student for the first time ever. So we got uh, grade 9 and uh, grade 7. And then we have a one-and-a-half-year-old, so he's yeah. not uh, school age yet. Yeah. So yeah. you're going through that. Now, I think a, a lot of parents are feeling that, will my kid be prepared for the changes that we don't really know that are coming in the future. Oh yeah. And I think there are a lot of great teachers out there, but like, you know, teachers, politicians, talk show hosts, um, there's some good ones, there's probably <laughs> not good ones as well. What well, I think you're one of the good ones. What would you do um, on the education side to ensure that there's the flexibility that our children that are going into middle school, high school, kindergarten, that at the end of the day, that they're going to come out even better than when they go in. Well, I think there's two things that we got to do. Um, so our platform, it does include the things that you would think of like, yeah, of course the NDP is going to focus on small class sizes, going to focus on special needs, things like that. So we'll support those things. But I think the biggest new approach that we're bringing, and this is based on listening to teachers who are telling me that we need to, if we want to improve test scores and math and liter literacy outcomes, we got to focus on all the barriers that kids face even before they get to the classroom. So that means dealing with things like mental health in the community. That means dealing with poverty. And in some cases, it means dealing with issues in the home, like family issues that some kids may be facing. 
So it's about supporting education and keeping it strong, but also being smart about what we're doing in other parts of government to deal with the mental health issues and deal with the family needs and things like that so that we can support kids so that when they show up, a mental health worker is helped with the mental health, a social worker is helped with the social worker, and the teacher can actually focus on what they do best, which is teach. And so I think that's a, a new approach. The second piece is on the technology side. Our economy is changing. Everybody, every time you see a self-checkout counter, you know that technology is eliminating jobs. And so we need a smart approach to government. I'm not somebody who believes that the government should be making all these decisions. But I do think government should listen to the private sector, should listen to creative industries, and figure out when we do make decisions, how can we support the areas where Manitoba can win over the next five to 10 years? And that, so I'd like to bring together uh, an annual summit of thought leaders to, to guide us on that. That graduating student, according to the Manitoba Business Council, when you compare Manitoba to Saskatchewan, on the taxation side, there's way more incentive if that student wants to take a job in Saskatoon or Regina versus Winnipeg or Brandon based on take-home pay and based on what they would pay in taxes. How important is it that Manitoba be tax competitive with our Western neighbors? It's important both on the income and the corporate side. And that's why we've put out a fully costed platform that would keep us competitive. But we'll build an advantage by making Manitoba Hydro cheaper will also keep auto pack cheaper. So your take home pay is not just what's taken out by the tax man, it's also after you cover all the bills, rent, affordable hydro, car insurance, house insurance. So we wanna be able to keep Manitoba affordable across the board. But what I think Manitoba can do over the next decade, over the next two decades, is figure out where can we lead on ag? Where can we lead on transportation? Where can we lead on manufacturing? And develop the skilled workforce, ensure that our young people are learning the skills because there are gonna be jobs here. They're probably just gonna look a little bit different. So let's talk to business, let's talk to creative industry folk and figure out where these jobs are gonna be a decade from now and then design our school system and our college system and our workforce uh, prep system to prepare people for that. The progressive conservative leader says you would have to increase the PST by two points to be able to afford all of the promises you're making. You disagree with that assessment. Why? Well, on the flip side at the debate, you probably remember the liberal leader saying that I'm a conservative and that I'm going to cut all these programs. So when you got the liberal and the conservative going at you cross purposes, it tells me that we probably have the balanced approach. We were very judicious when we put together a fully costed platform to identify, yeah, we need to deal with bringing in more nurses and healthcare. We need to fund infrastructure better to create more jobs in the province. But at the same time, we can't break the bank. We gotta be balanced. We gotta keep life affordable. And so I think our plan is balanced, not only when it comes to the books, but it's also balanced with healthcare. It's also balanced with the environment. Are there any areas where you'd reduce that you'd say, you know what, we shouldn't be doing this? In terms of uh, government, cross line, yeah, there is a few areas. We are using too many consultants right now. Mr. Pallister has also made Manitoba the home of the uh, retirement package for retired conservative politicians. We've had former premiers, conservative premiers coming here for big payouts. We don't need to be paying those things. So I find it really surprising that Mr. Pallister doesn't have money for health care, but he's got two and a half million dollars for a retired conservative politician from another province. I would cancel those contracts, 
I would use less consultants, and I'd reinvest the savings at the front lines. On Manitoba Hydro, it's interesting because I've looked at Hydro, and the Boston Consulting did a report during one of the Public Utilities uh, Board assessments, and they looked at Manitoba Hydro and found that Hydro is in the bottom third of all the categories of all North American utilities, and that um, the days of building dams in Manitoba are likely over. Yeah. That the Hydro has to transform itself into as an efficient uh, deliverer of inexpensive hydroelectricity as possible. Yet we still have a lot of engineers and a little people and a lot of people that are focused on building dams. Yeah. And the assessment that I get, uh, even from from the, the the wise people on Bay Street, is that you know what Manitoba Hydro, nobody's interested in buying it. You would be very difficult to privatize it because nobody wants it, considering its debt levels. What would you do? And by the way, uh, Pallister accuses you of using uh, successive NDP governments of using it as an ATM. But when you look at that crown jewel of Manitoba yeah, Hydro, it is. It is. what would be the necessary changes to make sure that it meets the needs of a different energy environment as we approach the next 20 and 30 years? Well, the first thing that I want to do is to make everyone's hydro bill cheaper by $350 a year. And we'll do that by keeping the existing carbon price in place, but not raising it. We'll keep it at the current price, but instead of having the federal government administer that money, we'll negotiate to bring that back to Manitoba and have it applied as a rebate to your hydro bill. The reason why we want to do that is we want your hydro bill to be cheaper, full stop. But also, by the way, if your hydro bill's cheaper, you're incentivized, you got a reason to use more Manitoba hydro. And uh, maybe that'll switch uh, your next vehicle to being a hybrid an electric vehicle now beyond that we don't know that for sure though because that's no that's economics that's, that's economics 101 pocket. when you drop the price of something you increase the demand for it uh, you know I heard that in the first year of my undergraduate degree um, and we see that you know again if people they look at the sticker of a hybrid vehicle and they quote you the sticker price minus how much you're gonna save on gas now all of a sudden if we drop $350 per year over the life of that vehicle you're saving even more money but to get back to the original premise of your question, yes, the days of Manitoba Hydro being a dam building company are over. As Premier, I will bring about a culture change within the organization of Manitoba Hydro to switch it to being a renewable energy company that's focused on keeping hydro rates cheap for Manitobans. Now, the reason why I say renewable energy company is because as, as part of the long-term plan to manage all of the assets of Manitoba Hydro, some of these dams are going to come to the end of their life and we're going to need to figure out how to replace that power. Well with climate change there's this other problem lurking on the horizon which is drought. Drought is more common every year under climate change which means if we are completely reliant on dams for our hydropower if we have a bad drought year we're gonna to have to import power from the states at a very very high cost. I want to prevent that so that we can keep it cheap so what we need to do is we need to diversify our electricity grid away from just being dams. We also need to have some solar and some wind there as sort of a backup supply. And so we need to bring about a culture change within hydro so that we begin to create jobs for people around the province building these other sources of power. It'll make the whole grid more powerful, stronger, but it'll also keep the price of electricity cheap for generations to come. Finally, um, are you in this for the long haul? There are some observers like myself that say, depending on what happens next Tuesday, um, the union bosses may not want you there anymore. What do you say to people that are saying, well, you know what, canoe 
it's very difficult to to get defeated as a premier. We're traditionally a, a nice province that give people two mandates in a row. Are you in this, whether you win or lose next Tuesday, are you in this for the long haul? I am. And I think you underestimate the power of your program because I'm expecting after this interview goes viral that, uh, you know, I'll be sitting in the Premier's chair come Wednesday. Bob Kidding, thanks for your time. Thank you very much. Election Day is September 10th. Thank you so very much for listening and downloading the podcast, Decision Manitoba 2019. Thank you for listening.